Presenting Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Focus on Truth is dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of the free grace of God and helping people understand the practical relevance of the Bible. Join now with Chuck as together we focus on the truth of God's Word. It's time for us to begin our study, and let's uh, let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for your kindness and mercy. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you that you are God and that there is no other. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love us so much that you will not leave us the way that we were when you brought us to faith in Christ that You intend to change us and mold us and shape us and make us into the image of Your Son. Thank You for your for the Word of God. Thank You that You have given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of You. Thank You for the test that You give us. You never test us because You want to learn things about how well we'll do on the test. You already know all of that. You know you know the end from the beginning. But you test us in order that we might discover what you already know about us so that we might participate with you as we submit ourselves to your Word and to your Spirit and see our lives change in such a way that it brings glory to you. Uh, and to that end, we give you thanks. Father, in our study today, may the Word of God be our rule, may the Spirit of God be our teacher, and may Your glory be preeminent in our thoughts and in our lives and in our purpose for living. And we praise You through Christ our Lord. Amen. This is our third in our session that I've entitled Testing, Testing, Discovering What God Already Knows About Us. In our first session, we talked about the nature of God's testing. And then last week, we began a little series uh, within this series uh, using various biblical characters, particularly Old Testament characters, in order to see how testing works in the lives of people with the idea not just simply to uh, become um, smarter about the Word of God, but so that as we see how it worked in other people's lives, we can perhaps get an idea of how God is working in our lives lives as well. And so last week we looked at Joseph uh, and we looked at the 13 years of his life as a prisoner. Remember, because of sibling jealousy, uh, Joseph had been uh, sold into slavery by his ten older brothers. Uh, Joseph was favored by his father Jacob. Uh, God had given him dreams of preeminence, and uh, Joseph shared those with his uh, with his brothers. And it just the the jealousy increased, the hatred uh, certainly increased, and the end result was they sold Joseph as a slave, who was taken down to Egypt, where he became. The the um, the, uh, the slave of, of Potiphar, who was the chief of the bodyguards of Pharaoh, and there's a real story there, and we talked about that. That as you as you look at what happened to Joseph, you just see the providence of God as God uh, kept placing Joseph in positions of importance. Uh, 
they may not have seemed very important to Joseph at the time or to other people who were around, but they were important uh, in the development of Joseph's life, and they were always somehow related to the um, to the idea of being near to uh, to Pharaoh, because that's uh, that's where God had Joseph headed. Although Joseph never understood that for th- the, during those thirteen years, he never had an answer to the question why Why is this happening to me? He never had an answer to how long is this uh, is this going on. During that time, remember uh, Joseph's character is tested. In fact, in that little box in your notes there. We've got I've got the same verse that we had last week, and so let's just read that Psalm 105, verses 16 through 19, and this is from the New Living Translation. It's not my favorite, and it's certainly not the most accurate translation, but it it uh, it conveys the message well here. It says God called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then He sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. And you'll recall that uh, we, we saw several ways in which God did test Joseph's character uh, in, while he was a prisoner there in, uh, in Egypt. Uh, one of them was in terms of sexual purity, his morality. Uh, even though he had been sold into slavery, uh, it would have been easy to think, well, God has abandoned me, so I'm just going to live any way I please if God uh, seems like God's been unfaithful, so I don't see any reason that I ought to be faithful to Him. And so I'll just give in to Mrs. Potiphar's overtures, and as a result of that, life will be a lot, uh, a lot less complicated around here. But he didn't do that. In fact, his response to Mrs. Potiphar as she made her sexual advances toward him was that how can I do such a thing and sin against God? So Joseph remained faithful in spite of those tests. But uh, as as we also saw, um, this is one of those instances in which no good deed went unpunished because as a result of that, Joseph was, so, was placed into prison uh, instead of being the chief steward in the house of Potiphar, he was now a prisoner in Pharaoh's jail. But notice again, uh, he's still in the proximity of, uh, of Pharaoh during during all of this time. Never saw Pharaoh's face during these these years of imprisonment, but he was always somehow near. Uh, you know, uh, again, Potiphar was the chief of Pharaoh's bodyguard, and when uh, when the false accusations from Mrs. Potiphar came. And uh, of sexual assault, and Joseph uh, lost his place as as uh, uh, chief steward in the house of Potiphar. He was placed in prison, but it was the place where Pharaoh's prisoners were uh, were placed. Uh, so. Joseph's always in that proximity. And not only did he uh, uh, face the test of um, uh, morality tests, but also tests of, uh, of patience and the weakness of another person. Remember, uh, and certainly we can see the patience test because 13 years 
uh, of being a slave uh, and you're wondering why and when is this, if ever, is this going to be over, it's easy to understand um, how certainly that was a test in, in his life. But you'll remember that after 11 years of imprisonment, and this is where our story ended last time, after 11 years of imprisonment, uh, the Pharaoh's baker and wine taster got in trouble with Pharaoh. We're not told why, why, but anyway, they wound up in the prison where Joseph was. And by this time, Joseph had become the chief trustee there in the prison. Uh, and just as a as a sidelight, notice what God is doing in the in the life of Joseph. Not only is he testing him, but Joseph was learning skills and responsibilities that he never would have learned back at dad's ranch uh, as a chief uh, steward in the house of, Pot- uh, of Potiphar he certainly would have been learning uh, domestic responsibilities and skills how to run a household uh, things that he never would have learned back at dad's ranch and then through this uh, what must have seemed to Joseph this uh, unjust set of events that wound up putting him in prison uh, he became the chief chief trustee in the prison and now he was learning institutional responsibilities, institutional skills, how to deal with more people and uh, in fact how to even deal with prisoners, the the unruly kind of people. And during all of this, what is God doing? God is preparing Joseph for uh, what's going to come later and that is when he does eventually receive his promotion as we're going to talk about today. Uh, he receives his promotion and now all of a sudden he is going to uh, uh, be in charge of national and international affairs and how in the world is he going to have the skills to do that? Well, that's what God has been doing during these 13 years is developing these skills and abilities and responsibilities, how to, how to manage people. And those are, those are things that a 17-year-old living at Dad's ranch never would have known how to do. But by the time he's 30, he really has a grasp on all of these things. But the, the main thing he's got going for him is that God is at work in his life. So we see what what happened as as our story ended last week. As after eleven years of imprisonment, as I mentioned, the wine taster and the baker of Pharaoh got in trouble with Pharaoh and wound up in the prison where Jesus, uh, where <laughs> Jesus, where where Joseph was the chief trustee, and uh, and they uh, the these two uh, members of Pharaoh's staff had strange dreams while they were there and of course Joseph was an expert at uh, at not only knowing dreams, having dreams but also being able to interpret dreams and he interpreted the dreams of these two and they came to pass just as they said, in fact one of the the, the, the main one was the wine taster, remember that was a guy who's always right next to Pharaoh, if uh, when, when any kind of new pitcher of wine is brought in, the first thing they do is they pour a little bit and uh, and the wine taster drinks it before Pharaoh does, and then they all watch the wine taster. And if he doesn't drop dead, then they know that uh, the wine is is okay to drink. So 
but the wine taster and the and the king would certainly have uh, have uh, developed quite a relationship between uh, between the two of them, and the the wine taster would be privy to a lot of things that were going on in court that nobody else would be privy to. A lot of the private conversations because he would be there to serve as the wine taster. But anyway. Nevertheless, uh, the wine taster had a dream, and Joseph told him what the dream meant. He said, look, in three days, you're going to be back in Pharaoh's court, and um, once you get back there, and, and this is this is the kind of the tender moment, I guess, where he tells the wine taster, he said, look, this, you're going to be back there in three days. When you get back there, remember me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this place. I have done nothing wrong wrong to be down here. I don't know why I'm down here. Get me out. And the very next verse that we read is, after two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. The wine taster was so excited about getting back in three days that he forgot all about Joseph. And that was another test. It was a the test of the weakness of, of another person. Uh, here's a person who... Uh, didn't give a rip about uh, about Joseph. Uh, he was just so glad to get back that uh, everything else just slipped his mind. He's he's back in nice clothes again. He's drinking great wine, or at least getting to sip it, and uh, and and things are great. And why bring up any stuff about that? Well, it, it would seem to us that that maybe God is forgotten about. Uh, Joseph, but he had not. Again, God was doing some things in Joseph's life. Again, we look at that verse in Psalm 105, verse 19, until the time came to fulfill his dreams. That was that's talking about the dreams that he had that he had shared with his brothers back when he was a teenager, and those were dreams where the brothers were bowing down to him. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And so now uh, what we see is we see that there's going to be a final test, but it'll take place in three phases because we're talking today about Joseph as the governor. And the test is the use of power and influence. How will Joseph use this power and influence over after 13 years of imprisonment? There's a. We won't take the time to read it, but there in your notes is uh, is a little passage from Acts chapter seven, and it's Stephen's summary. Uh, remember, Stephen was first uh, uh, one to be martyred, first church martyr, and uh, it's a it's a great little summary that uh, that Stephen gives before he is uh, before he's put to death. Now we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 41. Uh, at this time, Joseph now is 30 years old. He's been a slave for 13 years. Pharaoh now has had a dream, and all of a sudden the wine taster says, My goodness gracious. You know, and, and Pharaoh had called in all of the wise guys, all the wise men that he had, and nobody could make heads and tails out of these these strange dreams that that Pharaoh was having. And the wine taster said, "Oh my goodness, uh, Pharaoh! You remember a couple, uh, a 
couple of years ago. Well, actually, it was about three years ago. I got in the doghouse with you, and the, the and I wound up in prison, and there was a guy down there. I had this strange dream, and the guy told me what, what the dream meant, and it came to pass just exactly like the guy said. He's a, he's a Hebrew, and he's the chief trustee, but maybe you could, uh, maybe you could call him. And so they, that's exactly what they do. And Joseph uh, is called up, and he gets himself all cleaned up, shaved, uh, ready to go. And uh, Pharaoh shares his uh, his dreams with uh, with Joseph. Remember, it was a, a dream about uh, about um, cattle and also about um, stalks of uh, grain. A strange kind of a dream, and uh, and. So the the first test that uh, that Joseph is facing is before Pharaoh's throne. Um, his uh, very disturbing dreams, and uh, after the royal summons, the test that Joseph now faces is that of spiritual integrity. Is he going to minister to Pharaoh, or will he seek to manipulate Pharaoh because of the situation? You know, it would be easy to find yourself standing before, in this situation, stand before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, "I've had these dreams. I've called in all these all these experts, and nobody can make heads or tails out of this. I understand that that you are the one who who really knows how to do this kind of stuff, at least according to my wine taster, and um, and." If you're Joseph, one of the things that you could respond is by saying, "Well, you've called the right person." But before we get to your dreams, we need to talk about the last 13 years. We need to talk about a health plan. We need to talk about my 401k. We need to talk about back wages. We need to talk about a whole lot of things before we ever get to your dream. But see, that would have been to manipulate. That would have been to uh, to use this situation to his own advantage. But that's not what that's not what Joseph did. Priority number one for Joseph was always the same, and that was God's glory. And so, when Pharaoh tells, when Pharaoh says to Joseph, "I understand you can do this kind of activity. You can, you can tell me what all of this means." Joseph's initial response was, "No, it's not in me, but God has." can tell you these things. God has shown you what He's going to do. And we pick up that story in Genesis chapter 41 where uh, after Pharaoh has related his dreams to Joseph, he says, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what He's about to do. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So he tells him what it what it means. He said, "Hey, there's a there's seven really great years that are coming, followed by seven uh, uh, years of famine." And so now he does something that Pharaoh didn't ask him for, and he said, "Verse thirty three, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt." Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. 
This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the, fam- by the famine. Notice at this point, Joseph's understanding of his purpose for being there has nothing to do with protecting his own family. It only has to do with preserving the nation of Egypt. Now, ultimately, God will use the preservation of the nation of Egypt in order to minister to the family of uh, of Jacob, including those brothers who had sold him into slavery. But we're gonna we're gonna get to that uh, in in a bit. But isn't it interesting? How is it that Joseph knew? what to tell Pharaoh what he needed to do to get prepared for what was coming. Well, the reason he was able to do that is because of the last 13 years and all of the things that had been going on in his life and all the things that he had been, uh, he had been learning. Uh, the plan here is to store the reserves and uh, the purpose is to, to save Egypt. That... Uh, Remember that that that's going to mean things like building storage facilities. Uh, after probably after four or five years, it's going to mean uh, training guards because if you've got a famine coming up, you uh, there's a tendency to have an uprising on your hands. So you're going to have to have guards to, um, and they're going to have to be trained to look after all of these things. You're going to have to have. Uh, do we have enough equipment? This, this is going to be seven years of great abundance. We need to have lots and lots of farming equipment that's available, and uh, and then ultimately. This when the famine does come, uh, we're going to need to relocate people. And you, you see that later on in the story of Joseph where he relocated the people from the rural areas into the urban areas where the storage facilities were. And the whole purpose in that is, uh, is to make taking care of these people uh, a good bit easier. Now notice what happens. It says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. You have to wonder at this point what Mrs. Potiphar and the wine taster were were thinking after uh, after the wine taster had forgotten Joseph and after Mrs. Potiphar had made her false accusations uh, against uh, against uh, Joseph. But he says, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot at his sec as his second in command and men shouted before him make way thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt and then Pharaoh said to Joseph I am Pharaoh but without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt and Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah uh, Zaphonath Panea literally means the God speaks and he lives. Uh, it also can mean the revealer of secret things. Uh, obviously, this is uh, a reference to the God of, uh, of Joseph who was able to reveal uh, what the dream meant when all of the uh, local gods there in Egypt, the so-called local gods, were, uh, were unable to... Uh, give Pharaoh the information that he needed. He, and he also gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went 
throughout the land of Egypt. Now, went out throughout the land of Egypt doing what? Well, certainly, the first thing you do is make an assessment. You know, what what is the land like? What is it that's going that's, uh, that's to be the uh, where we can grow the most food? Where is the population? Where, where are the people who really seem to be producers? Uh, all those kinds of things were important things. And again, they were things that Joseph had learned during, during his imprisonment. So Joseph now has gone from the pit to the pinnacle. Uh, Pharaoh has recognized his uh, Joseph's divine connections. Uh, I guess you could say that uh, that that Joseph's God was uh, the the only true God was the one who really was in charge of things, and that Joseph uh, was because of that God, uh, the true God was filled with discernment and wisdom, and certainly he had a great deal of uh, administrative acumen to to know exactly what to do. And so there's a there's a whole new beginning at this point for Joseph. Uh, Joseph's new task now is to save Egypt from the famine the famine that's coming. That he is second only to Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh has recognized that uh, that the God of Joseph is uh, is really the the uh, the preeminent God, and Joseph has gotten a new family because he's got a wife, uh, Azanath. Uh, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So he's got a, a wife from a very prestigious family. And to that, uh, to that woman, to that wife, were born two sons. In fact, uh, uh, it goes on to tell us that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities, stored it in those facilities that he had had built. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. The first, uh, the first child born, he named Manasseh, and the word Manasseh means forgetfulness. The second one that came along was one named Ephraim, which means fruitfulness. If you look in the left-hand column of your notes from that at the very bottom, there's a passage there from Genesis chapter 41, verse 51, that, that gives us a little bit more insight to what's going on in the mind of Joseph during this time. It says, um, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Notice, Joseph had just dismissed it, just dismissed the idea of family from his uh, from his mind. You know, God's purpose in having me here is to save the land of Egypt, and so he names his firstborn Manasseh. Now, there's an interesting little thing. This won't be on the test, but it's uh, it's always fun to kind of think about these things. Remember that um, Jacob. Uh, Joseph's dad, uh, his his intention was to make Joseph uh, the, as it were, the firstborn. He he was going to give him the the rights of uh, of. Uh, the rights of the the firstborn son. Reuben had fallen into disfavor, and uh, with uh, with with his dad, uh, Jacob, and so. Uh, 
and of course Joseph was the favorite son of uh, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And so that was the reason for the uh, for the special robe that that Joseph had had many years earlier. And so one of the things that happened if you were the firstborn and recognizes the firstborn is you got a double portion. In other words, you you've got twelve sons. Then when the time comes for you to die, you divide your inheritance up into thirteen parts. And the elder son or the preeminent son is the one who gets. A, a, a double portion and everybody else gets gets a single portion. I mean, that's just the way they did it in those days. Uh, it is interesting to note that whenever the... Um, many years later, whenever Moses had led the children of Israel, uh, the Hebrews, out of the land of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, and that came, of course, after Joseph... Uh, after after that slavery, and then they wandered in the wilderness for another forty years or so, and uh, and then Moses died, and um, Joshua took over the leadership of the uh, of the of the Hebrews. Then, when they went into the land and conquered the land, and and uh, after oh some twelve thirteen years, it was time to divide up the land among the tribes. One of the things that you notice is there's 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 not a tribe of Joseph. You ever you ever think about that? When they divided up the land, there was there was no port. You know, here's a portion for Judah, and here's a portion for. Um, for Zebulun, and here's a portion for Naphtali, and here's a portion for Benjamin. But you don't see a portion for Joseph. But what you do see is you see a portion for Manasseh and a portion for Ephraim. So Joseph did wind up with a double inheritance, uh, but he received it through uh, through his uh, through his sons. And in this case. Um, Manasseh, the first son, his name means forgetfulness, and again, it it just gives us a little insight into the way um, Joseph was thinking at this point. It's time for me to put all of my all of my uh, abilities into preparing for what's coming on the land of Egypt, so that the land of Egypt will not perish. Uh, it is interesting, also, and again, this won't be on the test. But um, remember when uh, when it came time for Jacob to die after the family had moved uh, to to Egypt, uh, that when it came time uh, about the time it came time for Jacob to die, one of the things he did was he called in his son Joseph, told him to bring his boys with him, and he said, "I want to bless your sons." And uh, and what Joseph did was uh, he put uh, he. He put Manasseh where Jacob could put his right hand on Manasseh because he was the firstborn and the right hand was the, the hand of power and it was the hand of greater blessing. And he put Ephraim on the left. And remember what Jacob did when he blessed the boys? He crossed his hands. And uh, in fact, it upset Joseph just a little bit. He said, whoa, whoa, Dad, whoa, Dad, you're, you're getting it wrong. He said, I know my son, I know what I'm doing. And so the greater blessing came to Ephraim, and the name Ephraim means fruitfulness. You see, in the in the plan of God, what God was doing was He was working on the fruitfulness of Joseph through uh, through all of this. Now, what uh, the next test that we see is a uh, is a blast from the past. Jo- Joseph refused to uh, uh, to 
in front of Pharaoh's throne to manipulate the situation. Rather, he ministered to Pharaoh. And uh, now Joseph is going to meet his... Uh, his older brothers, because uh, at this point, assuming that the um, the seven years of abundance started uh, around the same time that Joseph uh, got his promotion, Joseph is now 39 years old. He was 30 when he was promoted. There would be seven years of abundance, so that's 37 years old. And now we're in the second year of the famine when we get to Genesis chapter 42. Um, during those seven first seven years, of course, Joseph is preparing for the famine, and now Joseph at age 39 is going to be tested again, and he's going to be tested in terms of the use of his power and influence in the treatment of people who had hurt him. You ever been hurt by somebody else? And then you find yourself in a position where you uh, you you are now in the catbird seat, and these other folks are sort of dependent on you, the people who have hurt you. And the, you're thinking, boy, now's my chance to get even. Well, that's, that's what Joseph is going to face here. And this is a test for Joseph. Genesis 42. The ten older brothers at this point have arrived in Egypt to buy food. They've heard that there's, you know, the famine had finally spread up into Canaan. And uh, remember, Jacob and his family lived in southern Canaan, so that would have been uh, that would have been the place where the uh, famine would have gone first, up into the region of Heb- where Hebron was. And and so. Uh, Jacob had heard that there's food to be bought down in Egypt, so he sends the ten older brothers. Now, why wouldn't he send eleven? Why didn't he send Benjamin? Well, uh, he didn't send Benjamin because he'd become overprotective of Benjamin. Remember, Benjamin was the full brother of of Joseph, the the younger brother uh, of Joseph, and they had this, not only the same dad but the same mom, Rachel, and so. Jacob at this point feels like the only thing he's got left. You remember Rachel has died. In fact, she died giving birth to this child um, who is no longer a child, incidentally, but giving birth to this uh, this boy, Benjamin. And so the, uh, the brothers um, have arrived down there to buy grain. And, uh, and one of the things that, that happened was they didn't recognize Joseph. After all, he's Zaphonath Paneah, the governor. And, and they didn't expect to see Joseph. For I guess in their minds, after all these years, I mean, it's been, what, he's 20, uh, Joseph is 22 years old. Uh, so it's, it's what, it's, Man, I'm sorry. He's 39 years old, so it's been 22 years since they've seen him. In fact, probably they thought he was dead. The Bible doesn't make that real clear. But anyway, Joseph recognized them, even though they didn't recognize him. And he accused them of spying. And some people read that and they say, well, golly, he sure did seem to give them a hard time. He even took a hostage. He took... uh, Simeon is a hostage. You, you say, well, why didn't he take Reuben since Reuben's the firstborn? only thing I've ever been able to figure out about that is that d- during the conversation, now remember when this, when this meeting took place, this first meeting between the brothers and Joseph, uh, when the meeting took place, Joseph had an interpreter there. 
And uh, he could understand everything that the brothers were saying, but what he had to say to the brothers and what the brothers were saying, you know, would be interpreted to him. So he was he was kind of playing playing a part, uh, like in a play during all of this, pretending like he couldn't understand what they were saying. And the brothers were talking among themselves. And one of the things that Reuben said, he said, didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you back in back 22 years ago that this is exactly what was going to happen. God is finally getting us now for what we did. I, I was going to save that boy and while I was away, you guys sold him, sold him into slavery. And so Joseph understood at least this is what I what I believe, Joseph finally realized after 22 years that Reuben actually was going to restore him to his dad. That was Reuben's plan. Of course, Reuben had an ulterior motive. He was trying to get back into dad's good graces because of some bad things that Reuben had done. But um, Joseph's just learned that, so instead of taking Reuben as a hostage, he takes the secondborn, Simeon, as, as a hostage. And in Genesis 42, we pick up the story in verse 18. It says, On the third day Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, and that would wound up being Simeon, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. And this they proceeded to do. Now remember, what is what is Joseph's motive in what he's doing? It sounds like he's being real mean. But remember, uh, they had been real mean to Joseph because he was the favored one. And Joseph knows down deep inside that Benjamin has become the favored one. And so if they treated him, Joseph's thinking, if they treated him this way, good night. Is Benjamin even still alive, even though they say that he is and he's down there, he's up there with dad in the, in the land of Canaan? And so he wants to know, is dad okay? Is, uh, uh, is Benjamin, his, his full brother, okay? Now later on, so they it says this they proceeded to do. So they went, they they got their grain. One of the things they didn't realize was Joseph put their money back in the bag, each bag. And when they got, oh my goodness, when they got back home and realized they got all their money back, they really got concerned and said, "My goodness, what in the world is God doing to us now? Because the guy's gonna think we've stolen from him." Well, anyway, they explained to Dad they can't get any more uh, any more food unless the next time they go uh, down there they they're going to have to take Benjamin with them. And Dad just explodes over that. He says, you know, he says Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. Notice Jacob's written off Simeon already, and he says, now you're going to deprive me of Benjamin. All this is against me. And that that is a sermon in itself because it wasn't all against him. God was using all of this for Jacob's good because he's going to bring Jacob and the whole family down to Egypt, put them in the land of Goshen where Joseph is going to take care of them from, from now on as long as he lives. 
Now, uh, when it comes time when the food runs out, and, it's, uh, and Jacob says, "All right, you guys, you need to go back and buy more food." And they said, "Fine, let's." We, but we're going to have to take Benjamin. The guy said he wouldn't even give us the time of day if Benjamin's not with it uh, with us. And remember, one of the things that Joseph, uh, that Jacob said was, "Why did you even tell the guy that you had another brother?" You know, just. He is just, Jacob is just so frustrated at this point. And it's just, it's at this point that Judah comes to the forefront. And remember, it was Judah's idea year, 22 years earlier to sell him into slavery. And now Judah says, let me, let me, uh, be in charge. Let me be responsible for the boy. And if I don't bring him back to you, if I don't restore him to you, then you can hold it against me forever. And so Jacob reluctantly agrees, and so the the ten older brothers plus their younger brother, the eleven of them, uh, make their way to uh, to Egypt again. And in Genesis forty three, this is later the very same year, uh, Benjamin is with. Uh, well, I said with the eleven. They actually there were ten because remember one of them has been taken hostage, Simeon. Uh, so Benjamin is. Uh, is with them and they arrive at Egypt in Genesis chapter 43 and verse 30 says, Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself said, Serve the food. And when portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. Now why? Well, if you think about it, it's, it's easy to understand why. Why did why did Joseph many years earlier become in disfavor with the older brothers? Was because Dad favored them. So what is Joseph doing now? He is favoring this younger, this youngest brother, and he is favoring them. Uh, he is favoring him in the sight of all of these older brothers. What are these older brothers going to do? Because Joseph's got a plan now. Now the brothers don't realize what the plan is. But isn't it interesting that uh, that Joseph's uh, uh, final test has to do with uh, with discovering what Benjamin's condition is, and then uh, Joseph's going to do this test for his brothers by showing favoritism to Benjamin, and then he is going to falsely accuse and arrest Benjamin. And the question is, what will the brothers do at that point? Will they abandon Benjamin the same way that they had abandoned him 22 years earlier? If they do, it won't be bad for Benjamin because Benjamin's going to be there in Egypt and Joseph's going to just take care of him. So you're going to find out what's what's happened in the lives of these brothers. So Joseph, uh, 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 you know, after after the meal, they load up their animals. They're ready to to head back. There's uh, there's the eleven brothers. Simeon's been restored to them. Uh, Benjamin has not been taken cap has not been captured. Everything has just gone great. It seems like to them. Joseph uh, again secretly uh, has his steward restore all their money to them. But he has one other thing done and that is he has the steward put his silver cup in the in Benjamin's bag and so the 
the the family sets out, heads back to Canaan to where Jacob, I'm sure, is is pacing, wondering when will they ever be back. And so they get out of town, and it's at that point that we give the uh, that, that we pick up the story in Genesis 44. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house: Put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack, along with the silver for his grain. As morning dawned, the men <coughs> dawned. The men were sent on their way with their donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, "Go after those men at once." And he, you know, and they, and and essentially make the accusation that that somebody out here is a thief. Very well then, uh, uh, he said, "Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame." Notice what happens. The uh, the the steward goes after him. And he starts, he, he makes his accusation, and the brothers are just incredulous. It, look, we, we, brought, we brought back the original money with us because we thought it was some sort of mistake. Why would we, why would we steal? And they just and so they said, "Look, I'm sure what they did was they probably laid out some sort of tarp on the, on the, on the ground and uh, dumped out the grain sack, and they started, uh, they started with. Uh, with Reuben, and you know they go through the grain, and there's a money sack where the money's been restored, but uh, the uh, there's there's no cup, and then Simeon, and then Levi, and then Judah, right on down the line, and you know you can imagine by the time they got to the tenth guy, to tenth brother, they're thinking, you know, hey, the sun's getting higher and higher. We could have been on down the road. If we weren't going through all of this, and then finally they take the the grain bag off of uh, Benjamin's donkey and they dump it out, and there is the glint of that high Egyptian sun on something silver, and it's the cup. And they, oh my goodness, it was a woeful time that they had, and they all make their way back to see the governor, Zaphonath Paneah, whom they do not realize is Joseph. <clears throat> At this point, there's an intercession by Judah. It's one of the most beautiful speeches that you'll read in the Old Testament. And if you, if you haven't read it, I encourage you to, uh, to do so because it's a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who guarantees our salvation. He is the, what Judah does is he offers to substitute himself for his brother Benjamin. He says, look, it's going to kill my dad if this boy didn't, if this boy didn't come back with us. So let me take his place. And it's a wonderful picture of what Christ has done for us in taking our place and taking our sin for uh, for us. Genesis chapter 45, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now, can you imagine what the reaction to that must have been? And now... <clears throat> Because you're thinking, after all this time, say, so, "Oh no, I had no idea it was him." Now he's he's really going to get us. And then notice what Joseph says. 
And here again is the test of His power and His influence. What will He do with people who have hurt Him? He says, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five years there will, be, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. I will provide for you. Joseph now sees what his true purpose is. His his true purpose is not simply to save Egypt. That was a means to a greater purpose. And the greater purpose was to save his family. To save the family of Jacob. To protect them. And, And notice he says... I'm going to put you in Goshen so you'll be near me. You know, sometimes we're we're willing to forgive people. We say, you know, all right, I, you know, okay, I know I've got to forgive, or I'm going to be tormented the rest of my life if I don't forgive. But I tell you what, I don't want to be anywhere near this person. And that's easy to understand sometimes. But in Joseph's case here, he says, his forgiveness is so complete for those who hurt him so badly and who put him through misery for 13 years. And he says, no, God sent me ahead to protect you, to provide for you, and I want you to be near me. That's real forgiveness. Then there's a uh, you see you see the love for his family because uh, he he's going to he he tells him he says I'm going to provide for you immediate care I'm also going to provide for you long term care and there's real evidence of reconciliation as the brothers talk and uh, as they uh, as they uh, carry on with uh, with with Joseph at this point and I'm sure just sort of catch up on all the things that that have been going on. And then Joseph even makes provision for their resettlement. He says, "Look, he says, don't worry about bringing your stuff up here. Just uh, I'm gonna send some wagons down there. You just load up everybody and come on back this way. I'm gonna give you the. I'm gonna put you in the best place in the whole land of Egypt, the land of Goshen. That's where the Nile Delta was. Uh, that would that would be the place where uh, it would the best place to to have all the livestock that uh, that that Jacob had." And you just see, you just, you know, in spite of this blast from the past, you see Joseph, uh, God has really done a work in his life. And he forgives and he does not use his power and his influence to harm those who have harmed him. He forgives. Forgive and you will be forgiven. But there's a final test that comes up in Genesis chapter 50. Where again, Joseph, uh, because of his power and influence, has a has an opportunity uh, uh, to do something against his brothers. Because we see that things have not completely changed as far as the brothers are concerned. Genesis chapter fifty: the occasion is the death of Jacob. Uh, Jacob died at one hundred and forty-seven. Joseph now is fifty-six years old. Boy, it's been a long time. 56 years old. And the family 
deceit is based on the fear of revenge in this part of the story. Notice what happened. When Joseph, Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, remember this. He was 39 years old. Joseph was 39 years old when he told these guys, he said, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to care for you, provide for you. And he's been doing that for all of these years up to the time that now he's 56 years old. Dad dies and these brothers say, oh, I bet the only reason he's been doing this is just for Dad's sake and now that Dad's dead, he's going to get us. And so notice what they do. Says, what if he holds a grudge and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Why? Because Joseph realized that was a lie. His dad never said that to the brothers. This is something the brothers are just doing what comes natural to them. And they're just lying in this situation because they're so afraid. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Hey, just like those dreams he had when he was 17 years old. We are your slaves, they said. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them. In spite of the fact that they were lying through their teeth. Now, not uh, obviously not Benjamin, but the ten older brothers. They, they were lying. Joseph says his reaction is not one of anger. It's one of weeping. And his reaction is one of reassurance. Don't be afraid. I've been providing for you. I'm going to continue to provide for you. And I'm going to provide for your children. You know, so here they are, they're hurting Joseph again with their lives, with their lies. And how does Joseph respond? Well, he certainly recalls the reality of their sin, but he remembers the greater reality of God's good providence and God's faithfulness to him. And he reassures his lying brothers of His good intentions toward them. And for another 54 years, He faithfully cared for that family. Now what do we learn from all of this? The one purpose of God's testing is to reveal to us the genuineness of the faith we profess. True faith is demonstrated in our obedience to God and His Word. If, if our faith is genuine, there will be correspondence between our talk and our walk. Joseph found himself in the unique position of being able to write his own ticket with Pharaoh. But he chose instead to put God's glory ahead of his own longing for freedom. 
seeing the brothers who sold him into slavery 22 years earlier profoundly affected Joseph. He realized that the practical outworking of God's testing was more than just saving Egypt. It was to save his family, whom he, remember, had put out of his mind. He forgot about them. That's the reason he named his firstborn Manasseh. He put them out of his mind. It reaffirmed for him the certainty of God's sovereignty in his life. It took 22 years for Joseph to get the answer to his question, why? Aware of God's presence, although that presence was surely silent, Joseph busied himself with the tasks at hand, having dismissed the thoughts of family. His meteoric rise to power and influence, which reflected Pharaoh's confidence in him, provided both security and satisfaction for Joseph. But Joseph used his power and influence with Pharaoh for good, not for revenge. Joseph's initial seemingly harsh treatment of his older brothers were not for the purpose of getting even, but for learning the condition of his father and his younger brother in Canaan. Joseph forgave his brothers and cared for this so-called forgotten family for the remainder of his life. Now, you will notice that uh, unlike times before, in addition to your uh, little set of notes that we've been uh, sometimes following and sometimes not, uh, there's an extra. There's an extra page. In fact, it's uh, two pages of additional um, thoughts and applications uh, that that you have for this study as well. And we're uh, some of you probably when you picked those up as you came in the door uh, thought, "My goodness, we'll never get through all of this." And you're right. We uh, we won't. Uh, the second page is for you to consider on your own. But since we've got about four or five minutes left in the study, I would like to look at just a, a couple of things in this uh, in this final section, which I've entitled "More Final Thoughts and Application," because this is where we uh, just look at the story of Joseph uh, as a whole. Not only Joseph as a prisoner, not only Joseph as a governor, but just the the, the whole thing uh, as it happens. Uh, first of all. I would point out to you that uh, you know one of the things that made all this stuff that we've talked about today happen was the fact that Joseph was promoted. He he became the governor of Egypt. Um, promotion time is always in God's hands. You know, God gave Joseph favor in the eyes of human authorities. He gave him favor in the eyes of of, uh, of Potiphar. He gave. Joseph favor in the eyes of the the head of the prison where Joseph uh, became the chief trustee. You know, sometimes we determine to try to make things happen, and when we do, it's uh, oftentimes evidence of our impatience with God's timing or with the weaknesses of others. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't use divine initiative we should, we should, we should be uh we should be active in the things that we do but we have to be very careful that we don't try to make things happen that we cooperate with the spirit of god 
when time for promotion came for Joseph, Joseph had the wisdom and the skills and the experience that he needed to succeed. You see, if this this had happened to to Joseph, if if he'd gotten his promotion, well, he's see he was sold into slavery at seventeen. Say if he'd only been there for four years, and he's now he's aged twenty one years old. What kind of what kind of wisdom, skills, and experience would Joseph have had at that point? You know, patience and endurance are virtues that reflect God's presence in our lives and demonstrate our own Christian maturity. And they're cultivated in the context of ministry to others, not in seeking to use other people or to manipulate other people. Remember that God's purpose always is to glorify Himself. And of course, He does that by transforming His people more and more into the image of His Son. But very often in the process of accomplishing His purposes... God very often disturbs the good life that we are enjoying. Think about it. And this is this is simply hypothetical. If Jacob's pantry had been full, the brothers wouldn't have made their trip to Egypt. Jacob's empty pantry brought the brothers face to face with their sin against Joseph. Jacob's empty pantry produced the occasion for Joseph to face those who had abused him even though he had sought to put them out of his mind. It's, it's easy for us to focus our attention on the gifts that God gives uh, our spouse, our children, the material goods, even the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Rather than focusing our attention on the giver of the gifts, we tend to forget that we're only stewards and we begin to act as if we are owners of the gracious bounty that God has given us. Living in a fallen world includes being hurt by others or by conditions that seemingly are unchangeable. And it's important to learn to view our woundedness in the light of God's providence. God often uses difficult people and difficult circumstances to bring us to repentance and faith in Christ. Part of the purpose of, for us in facing the difficulties of life is that we might be broken and remade into Christ's image. Jacob's family found favor in Pharaoh's eyes. Why? For, because of they were... They deserved it? No. They found favor in Pharaoh's eyes for Joseph's sake. God's grace to us, His people, is unmerited, it's undeserved, it's the very opposite of what we truly deserve. God's favor to any of us is only for Christ's sake, never for our own. Not because we deserve it, because we don't, we deserve just the opposite. But as in the case of Pharaoh's complete provision for Joseph's family, so also God gives us all we need, exactly what we need, at the time that we need it. The question is, will we trust Him to do so? Will we trust Him to do so without complaining? And that's the reason God tests us. The story of Joseph is a story about confidence in God, faith in God. Joseph's chief desire throughout his life as the Bible describes, it was to glorify God.
His way was not necessarily the easy way, but it was the way of integrity and faith. In spite of ill treatment, false accusations, and neglect, Joseph honored God. Joseph was a man of great faith in God. His name is even listed in the heroes of the faith in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 11. But note this, that the incident for which Joseph is commended in Hebrews 11 is not his courage under difficult circumstances. It's related to his desire that his earthly remains be buried in Canaan because he was so certain of God's covenant promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. The story of Joseph is a story about forgiveness and reconciliation. Because God has forgiven us, we can and we should forgive others who have sinned against us. Praise be to God for His great mercy. Father, thank You again for Your kindness and mercy. Thank You for this marvelous story of Joseph. Joseph the prisoner and Joseph the governor. Thank You for the way that Your Word reveals that You tested Him. And thank You for that promise in Your Word that tells us when temptations come our way that we need not think that they are just something that is really special and that nobody else has been through this, but they are actually... It's just something else that's common to everybody everywhere. But in the midst of that difficult circumstance or those difficult people, or whatever it is that you have promised, a way of escape. And the way of escape that you provide is not so that we can run away, but so that we can endure it. And that's the way of faith, as we trust in you. Thank you for your great provision in Christ Jesus. Thank you that everything that pertains to life and godliness is provided to us through Promises of Your Word guaranteed by the death, resurrection, and ascension of Your blessed and unique Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray with great thanksgiving. Amen. You've been listening to Focus on Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Chuck Bradshaw. Focus on Truth is a non-denominational evangelical Christian ministry to the marketplace. Your gifts to Focus on Truth are tax-deductible. For a free copy of our monthly newsletter, Glimpses of Truth, or other information about the ministry, write to Focus on Truth, Box 5367, Columbus, Georgia, 31906.